Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey there, listeners and dino lovers alike, and welcome to this edition of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and with me, Taser Gun at the Ready, is my best friend and co-host Aaron. As long as it's not me getting tased, that's acceptable. Well, you have the taser, so I should be worried about myself. If I say something that might be inappropriate, you can... But don't. That's what I should be worried about. Can I? I can do that? I'm going to tase you. I mean, from across the continent, you can try, but I don't think you're going to be able to do that, so... Hey, anyway, dinosaurs just, exist in this world, so so does tasing yeah. across the internet. <laughs> we are suspending a lot of It's all fair game, Patrick. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Maybe there are aliens that make horses go crazy. Yeah, nope, whatever. Anyway, all right, different <laughs> movie altogether. <laughs> well, this week, we are hanging out with scientists, dinosaurs, and even a few locusts as we dive into what will possibly, probably, maybe, potentially, definitely be the last entry into this Jurassic franchise that is now six movies and one TV show big. So I, for one, am a fan. I know you are, and that's why we're covering it. So let's get right into it with our spoiler-filled discussion. If you haven't seen it, it's in theaters. Check it out. Come back. Join the conversation as per usual. All right, Aaron, I wanted to start off by asking really just a, a basic question. You and I we're self-proclaimed fans of the franchise. I think both of us absolutely adore Jurassic Park. My history with Jurassic World and that back half, I think it's similar to yours. We love the first one. The second one, not so much. And so with it being such an underwhelming second entry, Jurassic World Dominion is announced and we see trailers and we see lots of kind of jabber about it. What expectations did you have going in, and did you feel like coming out that this provided closure for you as a fan? I wanted to see a world ravaged by dinosaurs, and I wanted to see it handled seriously. I think, for me, the greatness of Jurassic Park is that it's not silly. It is It has comedy. And it has moments of, of levity because Steven Spielberg knows how to make a family film. But it is not goofy, if you will. It's done in a way that is, it treats the material with the proper respect for the reality of that situation and the danger of that situation. And that is largely where two went way off the rails for me because it felt like it was leaning so far into absurdity and caricature of these villains that it was creating, these, especially with its auction that we both despise, that it, you know, it was not understanding how to... It just wasn't the tone I want from a Jurassic World movie. And I get that they were trying. And I and I also have come to think, Patrick, after watching this new one, which I don't think is the final one, by the way. We're we're almost at a four hundred million worldwide box office opening weekend. It isn't gonna be the end. I it's too profitable. I wish it was. I'll say up front, I do wish that this would be where they just let it die for, I don't know, twenty years maybe at least. 
but I don't think that will happen. I think it will be the end of this version of the story, though, right? It's the end of this character run. But what I wanted was for that final shot, which was so compelling, the dinosaurs overlooking a town. I'll be honest, I wanted Carnage. And and not because I wanted to see it, because I had some, like, you know, desire for gore or I'm a sadist or something. I just, I believe that if our dinosaurs were loose in the world, that it would be a big deal. And it wouldn't be jokey. And it wouldn't be wrapped up with a bow. And that is where I was so upset with this movie and its final conclusion specifically, because all I wanted was realistic, Patrick. And it's like they want to dip their toes into the realism, but they never want to fully embrace it. And that bothers me. It bothers me that at the very end, after everything we saw happen in this movie, you wrap up with, okay, oh well, <laughs> they're here. <laughs> We're just going to play with the little baby dinosaur and the duck together at the pond and we'll make do. No, that's not, but that's not, that's not even, it's not actually dealing with the story problem, right? It's just completely, honestly punting on any responsibility to actually handle the consequence of what you have put forth into the world. And I felt like this movie didn't do what I wanted it to because it, instead it went on a tangential plot line as its central story and just essentially avoided the problem in favor of giving us rebooted set pieces and nostalgia. And while I enjoyed sections of it, I'm not going to lie, there are set pieces, there are moments, there are you know horror parts that I liked, there are funny parts that I liked. It's that cohesive whole that I don't think we have gotten that matches my taste outside of Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. The rest of them, for me, are very, very lacking. And, yeah, this just, it was no different. It was, I had some fun seeing some dinosaurs on screen, but, man, I just can't get over how ridiculous of a story they come up with for this. And I think that it also suffers from a lack of characters being memorable. I just don't understand. Like, if Patrick, if you asked me a, a year out from a Jurassic Park release or Jurassic World release, what are the two main characters' full names? The odds of me getting them right are very, very low. I would say Chris Pratt, and I think I would probably be able to get Bryce Dallas Howard, but I would not come. I might, might come up with like Owen and Claire. But we end up latching on to these characters that are really have no, there's no, there's nothing special about them. I, I'm trying to be nice. There's nothing special. There's nothing interesting. Owen trains raptors. That's his one defining quality that is actual unique. Claire was an assistant kind of person. Like, she, I guess she wasn't an assistant, but she's like a suit, right? And the way she morphs into a superhero in this movie is pretty silly and ridiculous and i just feel like the movie doesn't understand how to give us human protagonists that we can latch on to and grow with it shifts everything to macy all of a sudden who we just met in the last movie and then 
completely changes everything about the story that we thought we were getting with Macy as well. And I don't know, man, it's just, it's a mess. (laughs) That was the ultimate conclusion we came to with Fallen Kingdom was our biggest problem overall was how messy it was. And I felt like this was just more of the same end of rant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I agree with you for the most part. And I think that part of Jurassic World Dominion's issue is Fallen Kingdom's setup. I left the theater. This is one that Krisha went with me to, and she had some of the same not in-depth issues that you did, but she didn't walk away feeling like she was wowed. She didn't feel like it was like there were moments she was holding my hand because it was tense and there were the, the horrific kind of, oh, here comes a dinosaur, that kind of thing. The set pieces were were big. We had some claps at the end, and she told me when people were clapping, she goes, there's always those people. And I'm like, what people are those, babe? I mean, those stupid that like people movies? that enjoy movies. What are they I mean, doing? <laughs> Get them out on. of this theater. Get this. <laughs> Whatever, man. Seriously. Um, <laughs> but But she recognized that there's just a lot going on, and I left kind of mulling it over, and I had a similar feeling when I finished up the final three movies in the Star Wars trilogy, where you have a similar kind of path. You have Jurassic World that follows the events of Jurassic Park and just amp it up. And again, I did not look forward to seeing that. Like when it was, I remember distinctly seeing trailers and going, why are we going back to the park? Did we not learn our lesson in 1993? And then I watched it and I saw the execution of an idea that we want to do a little commentary on the fact that you know, dinosaurs are not really cool anymore. They're like, eh. And we get kids who are on their phones while these big giant like pterodactyls are flying around. And, oh, yeah, there's a T-Rex. And the concept of creating new dinosaurs for like wow effect was kind of interesting. And that's why I thought you you take the same formula, you amp it up a little bit. You get me the same kinds of characters, similar to how we got in Top Gun Maverick, we got kind of replacements for some of the characters that we like. We got just as compelling characters and replacement for Viper and Jester and those guys like that. Jurassic World gave us that and gave us that with Owen Grady, gave us that with, to an extent, Claire. We didn't get our scientists like, you know, Sattler and Grant, which we love, but that was okay. And then we get Fallen Kingdom which we've agreed had way, way, way too much going on in it. And if you would have told a story of a movie that was entirely about getting dinosaurs off of a an island that was about to explode from an active volcano, then you would have a chance to get that adventure, build up your enemies, build up your villains that you can propel forward, and you finish the movie with that great shot of a Brachiosaurus exactly. getting engulfed. Yes. And now exactly. what you get is not only the end of Isla Nublar, but a clear-cut beginning of now we're actually in Jurassic World. And I'm not opposed to dinosaur auctions and that kind of approach. I'm not opposed to a cloned girl and backstory that we ended up getting. The problem was... As you said, we get a lot that has to be paid off, and Colin Trevorrow and company had to basically pick something, and I think you're right. I think they went back to the well, and they wanted to finish this kind of 
world, literally and figuratively, in a way that was quick and dirty, beautiful, say quick and dirty, quick and beautiful, because it's a beautiful, beautifully made movie. I love the practical effects. I love the fact that we're not CG out, CGI'd out. But my frustration with it, and it's not really frustration, I think it's more disappointment. I didn't have high expectations going in because of what Fallen Kingdom really showed me. My curiosity was almost like how I felt nearing the end of Lost. I'm like, you've got like 50 questions you've got to answer. And when you don't really even answer the 50 questions, but you sort of ask a new one and answer it because it's easy, it's kind of a softball, that's frustrating to me. I don't mind a locust subplot. I don't mind that approach. I don't I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's kind of formulaic, but it's something that's attachable. But at the expense of other concepts like poachers, the expense of this underworld of dino fighting that is kind of cool, all those things are hinted at and sort of glossed over for the sake of getting us to yet another park where dinosaurs will eventually be isolated enough that they can live on their own. And as you mentioned, we get a fantastic visual ending of these, you know, triceratops walking with elephants and we see brachiosaurs hanging out in the woods. And that's cool, man. But how did we get there? I don't know. I like the idea of the fact that we eventually will be able to adapt to living among dinosaurs, but there was nothing Ten, there was nothing tangible for me to latch onto that said, how? How in the world will you have other dinosaurs that are clearly predatorial? <laughs> you can't go camping anymore. I mean, you can't do that. Exactly. That's what Battle even Big if, Rock showed you. It's just something film, yeah. that, yeah. So I don't necessarily blame Dominion for being a disappointment. I really blame Fallen Kingdom for giving us way too much to have to settle. And so if you had taken your time, I wouldn't have mind seeing a fourth movie. I wouldn't have mind seeing the end of Isla Nublar being Jurassic World 2. And then all of the events that slow burned into Jura in, in the back half of Fallen Kingdom being three. And then finding one of those things to pay off in four, that would have given me a lot more satisfaction. I think you're spot on there and i just was thinking about this too and you know maybe part of the problem here is that when we gave ourselves that setup or we didn't get when the story ends in fallen kingdom and puts forth this enormous problem owen grady this goes back to what i was saying owen grady and claire can't solve dinosaurs overtaking the earth it's that simple they can't do that not the problem is not simple. That's the point. problem is difficult. It's, But the thing is that they can't fix it. So now what you have done is you have created a problem that the protagonists and stars of your story can only have a minor role in even potentially affecting. And what role they could have can only be so entertaining because it's going to be such a massive issue and undertaking. It's going to take world governments it's going to take world militaries or conservation teams and all of these things and so owen grady and claire get lost in that and so i feel like that's what happened is and you're you just nailed it for me is like you basically gave yourselves an unsolvable problem from a movie standpoint because of how you had created the the characters that are drawing us through the story previously and so now you've got to find a way to make it so that claire and Owen 
can have something to do <laughs> and can have a purpose. And right. you do that by by doing what we did, which is not even addressing the problem, but creating a new problem that they can actually solve yeah. just within a world where this is a bigger thing that's going on. And that's where it lost me. Again, moment to moment, it's not a bad movie. It's not as bad as Fallen Kingdom. Right. I had it a little slightly ahead of it because of that. Like moment to moment, there are things I, I enjoyed. But the overall whole was just leaving me so unsatisfied because I didn't feel like we really did much in the end <laughs> once it was yeah. all over. <laughs> yeah, and I think this is where I got the, the the Star Wars vibe is because unlike Fallen Kingdom, well, let's take the trilogy. So you've got the trilogy of Star Wars being directed by J.J. Abrams and then the middle one not directed by J.J. Abrams and then the last one directed by J.J. Abrams. And so you've got now the same kind of thing. And I think that if you had plotted out with Trevorrow, how do you want this story to take place? This is, I mean, the frustration that you have with seven, eight, and nine is that you have a second director that comes in and does something that I, in my opinion, makes it better. It changes the game of the franchise and it allows for a lot more cool stuff to happen. And then episode nine doesn't really retcon anything, but it essentially rehashes and takes us back to that familiarity of like, oh, oh yeah, I recognize that storyline. Okay, we can do this. We're not going to take risks anymore. Fallen Kingdom, I think, takes a similar approach. The issue, though, is that Fallen Kingdom was messy and there was really no clear direction. But the end result is that Colin Trevorrow had to say, all right, how do we get this back? And I think that's what Abrams did with episode nine and why I wasn't as high on Rise of Skywalker because it felt derivative. It felt like, yeah, okay, yeah, that feels like a Star Wars movie. Feels like Force Awakens. You know, that's kind of the same thing, but it could have been something amazing. It could have been something fantastic. I don't know that Dominion had that opportunity. And I think that's why I give it a little bit more grace because you really cannot solve all those problems. And when you have to introduce a fourth problem or fifth problem or whatever problem we're on to give these main characters something to do, it diminishes them. It diminishes the entertaining value that you have in them. And I will say this, if you didn't give me any kind of poachers, if you didn't give me any other type of thing, you had dinosaurs all over the planet, which is probably even an unsolvable problem in two movies, then yeah, I, I can see why you're going to have to give me something, but you have to point it to that problem. And so the the big disappointment for me was that even if I ignore the poachers, even if I ignore the whole cloning thing, which conceptually is kind of cool, but not really. I mean, she, Maisie wasn't really much of an important character in this movie anyway. I mean, her side story was interesting, but it didn't provide any kind of thing apart from what we get, which is that locust plot line. And so I feel like she, along with Owen and Claire, were given something to do. A lot of times she felt a lot like, you know, we're talking about the last of us. Like, it's like you got someone who's special. And then it gives BD Wong as Henry Wu a little bit more redemption. So I felt like this was sort of a redemption story for a lot of characters. I felt like it was Trevorrow saying, okay, listen, I need to do right by the fans. Even though he has gone on record and saying, I don't want to play, pay a lot of fan service. Just be honest. You did. I mean, you didn't do a shot for shot remake of Jurassic Park, but clearly there were scenes that called back. 
clearly you wanted to make sure that Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler got together because that was the tease in Jurassic Park, which I think made it great that they didn't get together. And then you pay off their screen presence with those three individuals, with Malcolm, Sattler, and Grant. And I like the fact that there were moments that weren't thrown in my face that felt like, oh, yeah, I get that. Like at one point, I think Malcolm has this black shirt on and he adjusts the buttons. He pulls the buttons up to kind of call back to the fact that that famous scene that's now just a meme everywhere. Fun. Good stuff. But I, at two hours, I didn't get much closure in terms of what we were given prior to that. And I think that's the – I would say that's problematic when you don't have a map of how to tell this story. I don't know that Jurassic World had a roadmap of like, we're going to make three movies and this is how it's going to go. Or if they're like, let's try Jurassic World. Oh my gosh, it made millions at the box office. All right, let's get the cow out and start milking it. I think that's what happened. When you deal with a franchise like this, which I believe, we've talked about this offline, is one of the more successful franchises just kind of top to bottom. Now, we both agree Jurassic Park is top-notch. Jurassic World kind of comes in at a second, and then everything else is sort of subpar. But as I have grown to appreciate the book, the books, excuse me, as I've watched Jurassic Park more than once, and I've gotten into Camp Cretaceous, there's something pretty insanely great about this world, about the idea of dinosaurs among us, about us messing with creation, that in Jurassic Park gets fleshed out in a very creative way in a very sophisticated way it's hinted at more in jurassic world but there wasn't much of a transition into saying okay let's get into crazy world where you've got poachers and dinosaurs all around if you're gonna do that i think i would go back to what you said you got to take it seriously i like the fact that i saw random bystanders getting eaten i thought that was kind of a plus one for me not again not that i want to see that but the right consequences of having carnivores running through the streets of Malta is a big deal. And subsequently completely dropped. The moment we leave Malta, we pretend yeah. that there's not multiple killer laser guided raptors and other dinosaurs that were in the underground black market completely loose on the streets of Malta with some woman in a white with I like I, it completely does never gets brought up again. Never. Yeah. That's that was an example of like where I was like, come on, like that's, I agree. I love that set piece, but what is the consequence of that other than just well, fun? It's yeah, it's, it's self-contained. And those parts made me feel like I was in a Mission Impossible movie, which is not bad, but parts, there's tone, yeah, but there's, well, Mission Impossible, James Bond, because you know, you've got street chases and, and whatnot. But again, and, that's the, that's where I get mixed, mixed with the characters though. I mean, we had Claire running on rooftops, jumping roof to roof and like tumbling as if she was Ethan Hunt. She's Claire. She is an ex a marketing person. You know what I mean? Like it's completely unbelievable and ridiculous. And so there's like that suspension of disbelief in, you know, you get an actual James Bond or Mission Impossible movie and you kind of, okay, these are, these characters are supposed to be doing crazy stunts and stuff and able to get themselves out of these situations. Not Claire. Claire, should never have turned into an action hero, in my opinion. But well, and I think that's why we get introduced to Kayla Watts as this mercenary. great character. And I thought she was because I thought she fit the tone of that section, and really th throughout the whole movie, I think she played a great kind of counter to Owen because both of those guys. There was this great set of dialogue where they're both talking about 
their military background and you know just really establishing them as okay they have the chops to do what they're about to do and those set pieces worked for me because while they were still unbelievable it's unbelievable in a world where dinosaurs exist and they're hanging out with us and there's you know facilities in some dark layer <laughs> like 100 miles in from nowhere watching them back and forth felt believable and i liked having her in this i love the fact that she is just snarky that she has some kind of moral compass that sort of gets fleshed out. I didn't feel like it was necessarily as much of a turn for her. Like I felt like she, I, I wanted her to have a little bit more of a, of a resistance to it. You know, I think seeing, seeing Maisie, yes, that kind of triggered, but not knowing a little bit, not knowing about her beforehand, not knowing a little bit of her backstory, not don't need to see that, but it would have made it a little bit more uh, satisfying how she kind of made the turn. But all of her actions, especially with Owen, made perfect sense. And the way in which they help one another, the way in which she navigates with the plane and, and lands the plane. I mean, you would think, oh my gosh, these kids are gonna these guys are gonna die. No, they're not, because they're superheroes. I mean, they're Jurassic superheroes. And I think you're right. Claire, while she has grown, her point of origin is a harder sell. And I think that was one of the, you know, one of the criticisms of Jurassic World is that you've got this woman running around in heels, you know, that's escaping dinosaurs. That doesn't happen. And while that's a nice joke, I think at the same time, Fallen Kingdom didn't give us any more of that push. I think what Dominion did at the beginning was try to establish her as someone with some athletic chops by going after these dinosaurs. But at the same time, I'm asking myself the question, why? What are you going to do with these dinosaurs? Are you taking them somewhere? Because clearly there's no place to take them. And I love the lines from her little cohorts. They're like, you're doing the right thing the wrong way. And I felt like that was sort of a commentary <laughs> on the way to approach Dominion. And I, again, I have grace for it because it had so much that it had to pay off. But at the same time, I also know that it was doing the right thing the wrong way. The safe bet was the bet that we got. And that was, let's bring back these original three that were so memorable and let's give them really equal, if not more screen time than this new batch of characters. Like I didn't clock it, but I really felt like Grant Sattler and Malcolm had just as much screen time and just as much influence on what was going on in the story than these other three. It didn't diminish them, but it seemed a little weird that, <laughs> okay, you're going to have to rely on legacy characters to really, push your story forward, that says something about the strength of the movie, in my opinion. It does. And I, I think it's marketing, man. I, I really think it's every... I don't believe that people sat down and fleshed this whole story out and thought, here's... This goes back to the same thing we talk about all the time when we complain about trilogies and sequels being not up to par. No one sat down, in my opinion, and said here is our arc from Jurassic World to a potential Jurassic World Dominion. And what I think people need to start doing is that. Understandably, you may not have a great first movie and therefore you may not get a second and third movie, but if you even have an idea that you believe is that big, you should have it figured out what it's going to look like in three movie format so that it works individually even if you don't get the 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 coming pieces of it right the subsequent movies 
And what it feels like is we started throwing things at the wall to find a fix to make it so we didn't, again, didn't have to deal with the bigger problem. I, I don't think there's any reason for them to be back, Patrick. I could not accept it on a intelligence level. I could, from an emotional and nostalgic point of view, it was like, oh, this is cool to see them, the exception being Malcolm. So he feels like he has an actual part in the story that makes sense. He was hired by this company. He's working there, secretly sabotaging it. Like he's put into the story in a way that is appropriate for how you would bring a character in. But he has also been a part of this trilogy from the beginning. He's been mentioned and shown at various points as aware and active in the world around this whole new issue of Jurassic World, correct? The other two have not. So it felt like, why after 30 years would you randomly go get these two people that dealt with life in Jurassic Park to try and help you solve this problem now? It just didn't make sense to me in any way why they would be necessary in this type of story. They were necessary in Jurassic Park from an educational, from a, a professorship, from a, a knowledge standpoint. They weren't there because they were going to infiltrate buildings and get DNA samples secretly from labs and sneak in and out of highly guarded, you know, areas. They were there because they were experts and they were evaluating the park based on their knowledge of, of history. <laughs> like, so to then take them and put them in a movie and give them an essentially, like you said, a mission impossible or James Bond type of job to do. It's not understanding characters. It's, this is the kind of nostalgia that I just I want to rage against because it's so forced to me. And so while on an overall like level, if you if you pull yourself back from wanting the movie to be critically well made and pieced together and and have a good story that that works and makes sense, you put them on screen. I too am going, aww. It's like. Sam Neill looks like Indiana Jones and that's cute. And they're, oh, they're going to be cute. There's zero reason for them to be getting into a relationship. Zero. 30 years, they haven't seen each other. All of a sudden, they're getting married. Are you, are you freaking kidding me? I was actually actively annoyed by that. That it was like, oh, yeah, I'm suddenly not with my husband anymore. And you're single. And oh, I've loved you for 30 years, even though we haven't talked. So you know what? You know what? Let's get married. I, it just, it's, such a forced nostalgia to me, just like the Barbasol can, was so, it was just a recreation of the exact same thing that happened to a similar character in another movie. And I, that's the kind of nostalgia that Top Gun, it feels like we, it's such, to me, it's so hard to watch this coming directly on the heels of Top Gun Maverick because that movie treated nostalgia with respect and kind of, such a subtlety, that's what we talked about. And this is not subtle. This is in your face. And for the most part, none of those flourishes of bringing things back to the light, Patrick, worked for me. There was only one that worked for me well, and it was the final dinosaur fight with the T-Rexes. 
with a T-Rex and a batter T-Rex again. Different different batter T-Rex. Still didn't get our Scorpius Rex. I'm still pissed about that. That's like, not canon, though. I mean, it's canon with, with Cretaceous, whatever. but it never showed up. Um, it never shows up in any of the three movies, period. I know, but that's my point, is I wanted it to. I mean, that would have been yeah. the perfect like <laughs> entry too. for a, a new scary dinosaur instead of just a spikier T-Rex. But anyway, yeah. like you get the same exact T-Rex on T-Rex fight, essentially, from Jurassic World. The only difference is at the end, it brings into the, and this is completely stupid, but it brings into this like that sloth dinosaur that furry sloth dinosaur, which was really cool, by the way. I like that design the, of that with guy. With the Wolverine claws? Yeah, yeah, with the Wolverine claws. And the way that they team up, I was I looked at Tyler after the T-Rex pushed the the bigger T-Rex. I can't remember his name. See, that's what that's part of the problem. Like, right. I don't even know his name or care. But he pushes the bigger T-Rex into the claws. And I looked at Tyler, my son, and I was like, Are they gonna are they gonna chest bump? Like, I mean, it looked like the kind of moment they they crafted there where the dinosaurs would just be like, Yeah, we did this together. It was it was a unique direction to kind of redo that scene. But in the end, you're still essentially just pulling from the same story beats of big dinosaur versus same exact dinosaur, only slightly bigger or whatever. And I just, I don't know, man, the nostalgia stuff just, I think that was supposed to be the draw of this one. <laughs> and that's what they focused on instead of mm -hmm. the story. Yeah. I think this would, the world of, the Jurassic World, not the franchise, but the the world of <laughs> the Jurassic franchise works best for me. And I guess I've said this before. I've become more of a television guy than anything else. But watching Camp Cretaceous, that's the way you explore those ideas. That's the way you expand slowly and methodically the concepts that get thrown into these last two movies. And I agree. I think they've put the cart before the horse when it comes to bringing in legacy characters to pay off some stuff. Now, I personally liked the role that Sattler and Grant and Malcolm had to play because they were working together because they had familiarity. And because ironically, this is what's funny is you've got the other main characters. I say like, I even say it now, the other main characters, Owen and Claire are familiar characters to us in the first two movies. And yet, because the characters of Jurassic Park were fleshed out so well and we cared for them as we did, they're the ones that I want to follow. Is that nostalgia? Probably. But I also, I also think it's a credit to how those characters are written. And again, I think Owen Grady's character is great. I would love to see him in more stuff because of his because of his unique ability to talk to animals, to talk to these dinosaurs. And I would love to see more Kayla Watts. I think they would make a cool team up in terms of if we were going to explore this, okay, there's still craziness out there, still dinosaurs roaming the earth and we need to control some of it. We need to make sure that we can get that. So, so maybe they spearhead this brand new organization of dino protection or dino prevention or whatever it's called dino roundup I mean, again, yeah they're going around yeah. fixing problems in the world that's it, that would be entertaining and interesting yes it would and, and i think that i think that would work really well as a tv series so if you're going to expand this franchise let's leave the movies where they're at and let's expand with owen and kayla doing a buddy type thing doing a series they both got the chops to do it 
bring in Claire as your intellectual, as your guy in the chair, essentially, and allow them this idea of, because you, in my, I mean, you can't throw out her character. I mean, her absence would be conspicuous. So give her something to do that's going to make sense. I mean, she cares about these dinosaurs. Maybe she's the paper pusher. I, I don't know. I'm not trying to create fan fiction, but I'm saying that there's value in these characters that have been given to us in this trilogy. And I think that they suffer from what I would call the the third movie collapse. Because for the most part, any successful trilogy is going to have a weak ending. I mean, there are exceptions to the rule. Toy Story's last real ending, Toy Story 3, was fantastic. Whatever that was after it, I don't know. I mean, I don't really acknowledge that. But <laughs> same thing with same thing with Indiana Jones. The Last Crusade is a great way to finish up that series, even though I know we're getting other ones. But traditional movie trilogies, the third entry has typically been not as great. It's okay, but your Return of the Jedi is Back to the Future 3, Karate Kid 3. I mean, when you talk about these movies that have really good entries, it all, I mean, for the most part, they suffer from the sense of where do we need to go from here? And I think that's part of the fact that it's like when you have a TV series that's on a network and you're at the you're at the mercy of viewers and the network itself to say, okay, we got to land this thing somehow. If we're going to get canceled, we need to wrap up the story. And this is where I felt like the movie was trying to do. I felt like they said, well, we only have this much money. We only have this much time. If we're never going to get another movie out of this, let's make sure that we apply closure. And so in that regard, the the way in which it was closed off not a fan, but I'm glad that it was. I'm glad that we can ride off into the sunset with Grant and Sattler, even though them getting together is completely weird. <laughs> I'm glad that we get closure with Dr. Henry Henry Wu because we liked him in Jurassic Park. I like him as a villain. I would love for him to have stayed a villain and then find a better way to get to his redemption arc instead of being sort of this feeble guy in a sweater vest who's like, I feel so bad. You can feel bad. But you make a really, really great villain, Woo, because you've got some motivations there. And that's the other thing, is when you think about the core concept of Jurassic Park from a scientific point of view, that idea that life finds a way, we don't really ever get an explanation for how are all of these dinosaurs actually evolving? Do they all have the same DNA that Blue does, where <laughs> she can reproduce asexually? Okay, well, that poses another problem because now you can't, you have to essentially make them go extinct in order to control that population. So, all of these concepts that I think, if you're going to take them, I'm fine with you doing that. Just put it, put it on a, on a limited series on HBO Max or something because I would love to see that. And I feel like it's better in that regard. But I think Trevero, Trevaro got enough pressure from the network, network, <laughs> from the company, from the, from the studio to say, you got to land this, man. You got to figure out a way to bring some closure. And I felt like he was dealt a bad hand. And I, I would like to believe from an acting standpoint, from a directing standpoint, from a writing standpoint, I don't believe that this was phoned in. I don't believe that it was ever like, oh, let's just get through shooting. I felt like it, there was a lot of care taken with the movie, but I felt like, again, to speak to Top Gun Maverick, which my wife said the same thing. She left the theater going, man, I wish we'd seen this before we saw Top Gun Maverick because she felt that same way. We're getting hit back on to the days of the past, but Maverick is a nice progression forward. I also think that Top Gun was never meant to have a sequel, and there was like 
20 years worth of, okay, let's do this right, as opposed to Jurassic World saying, this made tons of money. Let's bring something in the next three years. Sometimes I think a studio needs to be able to say, let's let this movie, let's let this franchise breathe so we can create a better story if there's going to be a sequel to it. And I hope, I hope that other properties that want more milk from their cow would take the Top Gun Maverick approach, not necessarily waiting 20 years, but taking care to know that people will wait. People are going to go to the theater to see Avatar 2 after what, 10 years, 15? I don't know how long it's been. Why? Because James Cameron did something special and people loved it. And I think that I wish that that was the case for Jurassic because it's such a great world that we, Mm -hmm. that's been created. It can still be great. We just (laughs) maybe need to change the format a little bit. We do. I think they need to start over if they're going to do it again. Once it, Mm -hmm. it needs time to marinate. Like you said, let it sit, let it rest just like it did before Jurassic World. It sat in dormant for a while. And then if you want to resurrect it, do it the way we're talking about. Do it as a series or like a seriously high-produced HBO-type series or do it with a full three-movie arc in your head already of what's going to happen so that you don't write yourself into this corner and situation where you're like, oh, now what? How are we going to solve this? And and have confidence in what you're doing, too. I, I mean, I... Like you said, I don't know if we'll ever know the truth about who decided all of the different nostalgic pieces needed to be thrown into this. I would wager that it wasn't all a director or writer team, that the studio was like, hey, you need to find a way to get Henry Wu in there. And then they had to write the story based on that piece of direction from the studio versus... Ooh, what it would would it be cool if we brought him back again? <laughs> you know, like I I would like to believe there were probably spec scripts that did not involve all of these different nostalgia references and characters coming back. And ultimately studios are like, yeah, but I can put this on a poster or a trailer and I can sell this movie. So you right. find a way to get me Sadler and Grant back in the film. And those are the challenges that I think big budget filmmakers always deal with when they're under studio control. It's why people like Christopher Nolan rage against the machine so hard and want full autonomous control. It's why people go to Netflix, all of these directors that have been going to Netflix to get a movie made where they just get a budget and they get left to their own devices and sometimes for the better, sometimes much for the worse, but they are allowed to do the thing they want to do purely instead of having these influences tell them what needs to be done to meet studio marketing metrics and, and perceived audience, you know, things, uh, ideals or whatever. And so, yeah, it's, I don't know the, the locust thing. So can we talk about the locust? Cause I want to know what you thought sure. about the locusts. Yeah. I, in a vacuum again, in a vacuum, interesting, <laughs> actually interesting. The idea of a genetically enhanced locust that was, being used by some sort of a as a bio weapon of sorts to sabotage the food supply so that a company could make more money is very modern conspiracy maybe even honest to god reality type Mm -hmm. of storytelling i thought that that was interesting once we had to tie macy into it is where it started to lose me and i didn't care because i didn't care about macy 
because I'd only know Macy for like five minutes and a cup of coffee as a raptor run away from uh, previously. I think if Macy was going to be the key to this entire three movie tra- franchise again, she should have been a lot more of a part of it the whole three movies if she was going to be such a big deal. But point being, I liked this interesting idea about these locusts that were out there only eating the actual homegrown crops and not the ones that were being made using this certain company's fertilizer. That was pretty brilliant and cool and uh, and, an, and a neat ethical dilemma. And actually, like you said, a decent way to bring a Dr. Wu character back if you were going to do so, because he would be someone that you would be looking for, has the expertise to create something like that. He has done it before. And I really thought that that was interesting. And it's a bummer because it's become the the joke line of this movie is that it's, you know, locusts, all about these locusts. And it never should have been when it's a movie about dinosaurs. <laughs> but like this is an alternate movie or an alternate like two-part TV series episodes. This is a Star Trek episode to me. Like this is one unique little thing that could have happened in this world that doesn't need an entire film to be dedicated to it as the central point. And that's where, you know, it just didn't feel like it meshed well for me. But like, again, in a vacuum, I, I thought it was a, a neat idea to explore personally and yeah, visualize so really well too. I love oh, the gosh, swarm yeah, visuals. I, the swarm looks awesome and terrifying. I mean, and, and I know that <laughs> I know we try to keep things positive. Honestly, I feel like we have, I feel like there's, there's not, I mean, we're not trashing the movie uh, by any means necessarily. We just, disappointed i will say this if you're gonna go see this movie in a theater you're doing yourself a service in terms of just being visually enhanced by all this stuff i mean the the locusts themselves and the swarm their actual design was really really cool the fact that you have to pick them up with two hands when they're fully mature i mean these things are big and when i see the the locusts come at the very first part of the movie and these two kids are like running, I'm like, oh my gosh, they're not going to be safe in the barn. They're not going to be safe. And sure enough, those things are pop, 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 pop. And I thought, okay, are we, are, is this, is this like Moses? Are we getting like the plagues? Is this, the Somebody made that reference, plague? I think, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Somebody like, was like, oh, yeah, next come the frogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that concept was, I think, executed well in a vacuum. And had it been the only thing, I think it would have been one fantastic central plot element that also helps elevate the the villain in this. Dotson, we got Dotson here. I mean, we have Dotson here. Apparently, we do. It's the same Dotson that we get from the the first movie, who plays a minor role with. um, Oh gosh, now I can't remember the guy's name (laughs) that gets taken care of by the Dilophosaurus. Um, Anyway. But I I like that concept as well. The fact that this guy kind of has the Steve Jobs vibe and he's a little quirky. There were parts of it that kind of made me turn my head like when he freaks out before they have to evacuate the dinosaurs to like the central hub. His reaction felt kind of juvenile and childish. And I'm like, he's quirky. He's just really weird. And like even earlier in the in the film when when um, I guess Grant and Satler land. And they're there with Ramsey, who I think I think Ramsey's kind of cool. I like him a lot. He's got a lot of good potential. But they're they're running into they meet Dotson Dotson for the first time, and the way that he his mannerisms, the way that he communicates is just like he tells he asks Ramsey, "Do you have a do you have a 
one of my protein bars on you? Do you have anything? Yep. Who is this guy? And I thought that his character is interesting enough, but the left field kind of personality, I felt like he was a little bit maybe on the spectrum, or maybe he's just got these weird kind of social tendencies, but there was no frame of reference for those. Like that would have been cool. Or if you played him straight, like kind of a Steve Jobs guy where he's like all clean and and he's a genius, that would have been good too. But I liked that introduction to him. I liked the fact that there's this nefariousness going on where you have almost these two conflicting characters between him and Ramsey who are trying to take this company and you know Ramsey wants it to be exactly what it's advertised as which is a a, a homestead for these dinosaurs i love that ramsey says at one point these are pure essentially these are purebred dinosaurs there is no genetic engineering that is taking place and i'm like that's great i mean that i guess that means they're male and female i guess that means that they're trying to develop this population and when you contrast that with Dodson's character, it can be very interesting. And so I thought that whole idea of this place, the sanctuary, with these two characters sort of not spearheading it, but being sort of in contrast with one another, that was kind of an interesting idea. Yeah, I agree. I, I didn't dislike character either, especially of Dodson. Dodson? Dodson? However you say his name. I just call him Dodson. He, it's Dodson. He, he feels like, I think he's supposed to be a caricature or a creation of Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple. If you've ever seen him, the likeness is unmistakable, and so are the mannerisms. I think it is extremely intentional that he is mirroring a major tech CEO like that. And so I found that to be like interesting. Again, pieces are there. It's the the cohesiveness that's the problem, but I liked that concept of y- you would have a CEO of this biotech. People would all be fighting for this, right? Is the moment that there was a way to get a, a little slice of the pie, everyone would want to do it. And you would have to have a company that had a massive amount of money in order to create this wildlife sanctuary out in the mountains with like Sam missiles or whatever guarding it. I don't know. It was pterodactyl, no fly zone, but his concept was, that was pretty cool too. <laughs> honestly, when they're, when they're like, we're turning off the air defense. And so that was, that was the danger. That was a nice little twist on that concept yeah. of usually when that happens, it's, you want to get rid of the system because it's better for you. Now getting rid of the system means you're at the mercy of the dinos. But anyway, I, yeah, I liked that creation and Mabadu Athi's character I really liked as well. What did you say his name was? I forgot, but the the assistant Ramsey 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 yeah Ramsey was great and I thought it was a nice relationship the way that he was working on the side with Malcolm and he clearly had this morality and you know ethical strength to him that would not allow him to go with what his boss was doing. And so he was trying to get the word out and make sure that things didn't go completely off the rails. And I I liked that quite a bit. And, you know, you need a character like that. So, there, yeah, the the movie introduces some interesting new people 
actually. And I actually like the other character too, the the lady in white. Like if you were gonna have an adventure off to the side and not as part of a movie for 20 minutes, she was like badass. I mean, she was a great antagonist, I thought. And I hated oh, yeah. seeing her go away. I kept hoping she was gonna come back somehow. Like she'd show up at Biogen somewhere, you know, trying to help out or help him escape or something. Cause I wanted to see her and Kayla kind of really go at it in some mm-hmm. way. And yeah. so, yeah, I think, I think the whole, what we've said pretty much over and over is like some of the pieces here are really interesting and also yeah. not badly defined. Like the whole section towards the end of the third act or the, you know, the finale, dude, I liked so much of it. The actual horror of, Going through the caves, that reminded me of Camp Cretaceous, by the way. Yeah. And them trying to escape as a whole team of people. And, and they actually got up in one of those tree houses, too, which this wasn't Jurassic World's island. So it shouldn't necessarily look the exact same, but it sure as heck looked a lot like the Camp Cretaceous <laughs> tree house <laughs> the key, uh, to me, didn't it? Yeah. Except Camp Cretaceous didn't have automatic weapons stored up there. Uh, but it was... <laughs> For better, for worse. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I liked I liked the them trying to get away from the dinosaurs when it went into its horror mode for this film. That you know, it's 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 like this. It's doing all these different tones. I liked that part of it. I was engaged at that time and just seeing the dinosaurs. I thought you can never take that for granted with a Jurassic park in a Jurassic world movie. And that is the point of why they continue to make them and why they will continue to make a billion dollars at the box office. Every time is because the tech, the CGI and the feeling of seeing a gigantic, massive dinosaur and hearing in Dolby or whatever, that roar and those sounds and those crunches when people get eaten or the way that leaves are stepped on, whatever it may be. Those moments are breathtaking and unlike something we can get anywhere else. Kind of akin to like a Top Gun Maverick, you don't get dogfighting anywhere else. You can't just pull up a 15 different options and get dogfighting. You can do that with like a Mission Impossible, a James Bond. There's a lot of movies that are sort of in those in that quadrant of type of filmmaking, right? Spy type adventure action stuff. But there's not fighter pilot movies that get the Navy's jets and pilots to actually be part of and create this incredible choreography. And there's not high budget dinosaur creation going on in other films. So this is what you got. And so you're going to come to that. You're going to get your money's worth of at least seeing the dinosaurs. And I, I was definitely satisfied by them, visually speaking. Yeah, I was too. And, and the, the variants. Baby Raptor. That. Baby Raptor. Like, oh yes. my God, when Owen puts the baby raptor on his back, dude. Yes. Uh, th- okay, that was like the most corny, stupid, out of place again, like tonal, like what are we doing? But the way that Chris Pratt looks when he's like, is that a dinosaur on your back? And he's like, yeah. yeah. I, I That was maybe my favorite scene moment in the whole movie, just the adorableness of this baby. And then, it, and then he gets blue at the end. The blue comes out because it wasn't blue at the beginning, like the raptor. But of course, like mm-hmm. mom's blue. And so, oh, I just, sorry. I love the baby raptor part of this movie. Yeah, it's great. It's the, again, the design, you're right. The, the dinosaurs, you, you come for the, 
you come for the Jurassic, you stay for the dinos. I mean, it's whatever it is. There's, there's a saying there that I haven't made up yet, but I will at some point. And I think that every every movie in this franchise does the best service to those dinosaurs and to the scenes with those dinosaurs. I think that the fight at the end should have been longer. That would have culminated with that trilogy of dinosaurs sort of fighting each other instead of a a tag up and then maybe a dino high five at the end. But I mean, that speaks to the fact that we want T-Rex to win. T-Rex is the anti-hero of this franchise, starting with Jurassic Park, where he takes down the, the Raptors inside the, the visitor center as the flag or the banner falls down. And we want that. And, you know, Trevorrow and company, they brought that to us. I think my wife said, he's not dead, is he? I said, no, he's not dead. There's no way the T-Rex is dead because he doesn't die. He has superhero blood in him or something. But I think that all of the scenes that we saw with the different types of dinos were really well done. I, I thought the the quiet scene where Maisie leaves the leaves the, the cabin, she goes across the bridge and she sees that, that Brachiosaurus, they're trying to get him off the, the construction site and I guess she whispers, here's how you do it. And then that smaller Brachiosaurus kind of sits up like out of nowhere the the slowness of that that's what i think is really appealing about the first movie you know when we get that immaculate moment and we get the reveal of the dinosaurs and you get uh, i think it's grant saying you know they do move in herds and it's just really fantastic the brachiosaurus i think is on the opposite end of miraculous that the t-rex is so when you talk about the ultimate carnivore in the jurassic franchise you're talking about t-rex when you're talking about the ultimate omnivore or vegetarian whatever it's the brachiosaurus you want to see that equally as much as you want to see the t-rex and so i think there were great really i guess you call them like dino superhero shots of all these types of things i liked the fictional dilophosaurus and when you see him get right in uh, i think it's i think it's claire's face and he's about to, she's about to shoot that stuff. And, and then Owen goes, nope. And he grabs her neck. It wasn't something you expected. Thought that was kind of an interesting twist. And of course, when, you know, when, when Dodgson Dodgson gets his comeuppance, I mean, obviously we're just recreating when, um, again, I can't remember his name, when he uh, gets his comeuppance from the Dilophosaurus, the same thing. And I told my wife, Nedry. see, here's yeah. the lesson learned. The lesson learned is that, do not steal that Barbasol can. If Whoever has that Barbasol can, even if the Dilophosaurus does not exist in your world, it will come after you and spit on you and kill you. So don't keep it. Just get rid of it altogether. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, well, I said it was forced. I will pull back on that one bit and I will say it does make sense that someone obsessed with the concept of Jurassic Park who was trying to recreate things and take control in the same way that we saw multiple people fail at doing that would view this thing as a relic. And that's what that really, that scene is about. It's as it's written, like it, it's meant to do two things. One, it's meant for us to go like the, the meme, the once upon a time in Hollywood meme with Leo looking at the screen, leaning forward and going, I know that can, but it's also, 
natural that someone who has that sort of obsession would be like, I've got to save this thing because it has meaning, historical meaning and value. And it's not about, he wasn't saving it because he was putting samples in it. He was saving it because it had reference value, which in in and of itself is very meta in the fact that of how it is in the movie for us as audience members. So there's an interesting thing that is in play there that I don't completely hate. I, I do think having him die the exact same way by the same random dinosaur is completely dumb, but whatever. Minor. It's minor. <laughs> just, so, and just so I don't get yelled at by listeners, Nedry is the guy's name. Nedry. I'm forgetting. Mm-hmm. Nedry. Yep. Um, Dennis. But yeah, I, I think just um, the I did come for the dinosaurs. I was not disappointed in in pretty much any of the uh, any of the shots that that we got. I, I did have trouble figuring out what the dinosaurs' names, how they were naming them. Part of it, I think, was the sound wasn't good, but I think it's because they were unfamiliar names. And I, I don't, I, to this day, I don't know what the other two dinosaurs were, the big carnivore, the alpha, whatever they're called, the, who knows, um, that were not T-Rexes. <laughs> I call them the Wolverine dinosaur, and then the T-Rex Plus, I think is what I named him, but... Uh, I like that actually. T Rex Plus <laughs> on Disney Plus with Paramount Plus or whatever. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that will do it for us on this edition of Feel and Film. We hope you guys have enjoyed the conversation as much as we have. Next week, we are back in the theater again, going to infinity and beyond with the 2022 Pixar film Lightyear starring Chris. Evans. I wonder if there'll be any Captain America references. I wondered here. I if you know. were going to get it wrong. I was waiting for you to say Pratt and then no. have to pull. So <laughs> I'm impressed. Different. So this is me giving you kudos for actually not getting them confused. Yeah, yeah. We're going from one Chris to another. <laughs> so. And then like two weeks we're, from now, we'll be doing the Chris Hemsworth Thor yes. God of Thunder. So, Boy, it is just a Chris's we'll world that we're living in, man. Chris Charfecta over the next few weeks. <laughs> There's some redemptive qualities. Qualities? Qualities? Qualities. qualities I like it. That's a, that should be a word. That's qualities. <laughs> Let's define that, and then we can use it in a day-to-day basis. All right. <laughs> <laughs> What's the etymology? Well, in 2022, a popular podcast named Feeling Film coined it as this. <laughs> so anyway, that'll do it for us on this edition of Feeling Film. Aaron, thanks for another great conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.